Welcome to the Good Money Habits podcast, where we marry financial education with tips from the experts on how to develop good money habits. Knowing what your options are around your finances is one thing, how to translate the knowledge into action for results is quite another. We're all about helping others take steps to gain financial stability, to live a better life. This podcast is brought to you by Lighthouse Capital. It is important to understand that today's episode is of general nature and doesn't take into account your personal objectives, financial situations or needs and may not be appropriate for you. Welcome back to Good Money Habits. I am absolutely buzzing this morning. One of the joys of being a podcast host is sometimes I get to introduce people who leave an indelible mark and today is no exception. But before I introduce my special guest, I just want to take a moment to thank you, our listeners, for sharing your valuable time in listening to our podcast. And a really special thanks to those who've sent messages through to give us feedback on what you're finding helpful and areas that you'd like us to tackle. We really appreciate the support and please keep the suggestions coming. So today is the second part in the Responsible Investing series. If you haven't had a chance to listen to part one, I'd highly suggest you do go back and have a bit of a listen. Um, Something I'm learning about this space in responsible investing is I feel like the more I learn, the more I realise there is to learn. So um, part one is a great way to get uh, your head around, I guess, the history and, and how the space has developed over time, as well as the terminology and some of the nuances. But today, I really want to dig a little bit deeper. This topic has been on my radar right from the outset. And to help me explore this crucial space, I could think of no one better than my former colleague, Giles Gunasakera. Giles, I hope I said your name correctly. (laughs) Um, Absolutely perfect, Jill. Oh, thank you, Giles. Giles is the CEO of the Global Impact Initiative, which happens to be the only Australian company and one of only 36 companies acknowledged globally by the United Nations as a UN lead company for their work and the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Giles received an outstanding alumnus award from Oxford, is a senior fellow of the Financial Services Institute of Australia and holds numerous not-for-profit directorships. For me, Giles sits at the forefront of breaking ground in investing for positive impact. Giles, welcome to Good Money Habits. Thanks very much, Jules. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. And I hope that having you on the podcast today is at least some kind of distraction, as I know you've been stuck in lockdown there in Sydney, what, since July, and we're just really conscious over here of our New South Wales and Victorian cousins who are doing it really, really tough at the moment. I hope you're hanging in there with the family. Yeah, hanging in there is a good way of putting it, Jules. Uh, I think, you know, what I've uh, noticed and and heard, particularly in the last couple of weeks, is... uh, People just admitting that it's it's not easy. Um, yeah. You know the the homeschooling, the balancing uh, work and school and family life, and the the lack of separation between work um, work and family is you know is a real challenge. Um, as is you know what is the noticeable uh, deterioration in people's mental health. You can see yeah. it you know on people's faces when you're on. Yeah, these Zoom calls, um, you know, just energy levels, enthusiasm levels is is, is a real challenge. But um, look, there's there there is always someone in a worse position than you, so I, I I'm, I'm not going to complain. Uh, but also, you know, there are there there is some silver lining out there. So um, and and importantly, um, you know, we'll we'll get back to whatever normal uh, looks like or the the new normal um, very very soon. Well, I heartfelt we're thinking of you all and um, it is one of those times where it's okay to not be okay and just so important to reach out um, and look after your neighbours and each other as best you can, I imagine. And I do want to circle back later, Giles, if I can, just to get your observations on the impact of COVID and lockdowns in the space you work in. But before we go there, um, I just want to say it's just been so lovely to reconnect and it, it felt like the years absolutely melted away. I've got such fond memories of our time at Merrill Lynch where we worked together all of those years ago and um, so fortunate to work with an incredibly talented crew, many of whom are kicking goals, yourself included. Yeah, it was a a great time and uh, yeah, you're absolutely right, Jules. You know, just the the thing that stands out for me as it does for you is just the wonderful people um, we we had around us that we were fortunate enough enough to work with. 
um, you know, some great leaders, some great colleagues and, and, and lifelong friends, you know, people that you can pick up the phone and, and talk to regardless of, you know, how many years is, has translated um, and, and, and have a conversation, have a meaningful conversation. So, yeah, really special time and, and, and really, yeah, it was, was, was all about the culture. Um, you know, these, these great leaders just developed, um, you know, a, a really open, transparent uh, and ultimately fun culture too. It was just a great place to work. And now looking at where so many have taken their careers, it's quite fascinating. I was chatting with Chris Innifer yesterday. Um, Anique Donate reached out. Both of them actually said to me, if you're talking about responsible investing and impact investing, you have to speak to Giles. I'm like, I know, he's on the radar. <laughs> um, and Damien Frawley and Damien McIntyre, all those. Bring- anyway, um, we probably get on better get on in terms of talking about what we're here to talk about today. But what I would love you to do, if you don't mind, Giles, is share a little bit about your journey and how you came to find yourself where you are today yeah thanks Jules the um you know the the realization for me Jules was um you know for a long time and and I started Global Impact Initiative in 2015 um and that was after spending you know 20 plus years in funds management uh but at the time and and you know still to this day you know I serve and continue to serve on a lot of not-for-profit boards from you know environmental boards to, you know, very large NGOs like Amnesty International, to theatre companies, dance companies, um, cricket associations, baseball associations, and then also uh, have been involved in a number of charities that um, work exclusively in Sri Lanka, which is my cultural heritage. Mm-hmm. And and really the realisation that, um, you know, the not-for-profit world has, you know, so many great ideas but so little money to back those ideas. And, and when you compare and contrast that with the corporate world, particularly the large corporate world, but just the corporate world in general that, you know, has, you know, lots of money, um, but very few good ideas. Um, you know, so for me, you know, I wanted to put those two worlds together and, and also the realisation that there is no shortage of money in the world. You know, it's just not used in, in the correct way. So we're not talking about more taxes or changing people's lifestyles or anything like that. It's all about let's just use money in the most efficient way possible. Um, and that was, you know, uh, and, and I started studying impact investing, you know, 10 plus years ago, went to conferences, read everything I could, um, and, and also living in those two environments, you know, living in the business corporate world, which I really, really enjoyed. You know, I love investments. You know, I, I, you know, I bought my first shares when I was 16. Um, you know, I'm, I've, I've, I've always been very passionate about, you know, financial literacy and, and the topics that you talk about, uh, Jules on the podcast. Uh, but, you know, ultimately investing, you know, leading people, building teams was something I was really interested in, but I just couldn't um, rationalise that in my life um, in terms of, you know, seeing this waste on one side and then seeing all these great ideas on the other. So, you know, for me, you know, the establishment of Global Impact Initiative is, is really a way of bringing um, my knowledge of the corporate world and not-for-profit world together, but doing it in a business, in a sustainable business, that is focused on impact investing, focused on how do we create um, financial returns and also measurable, intentional, additional social impact at the same time. And um, yeah, it's been a great journey and it's going to continue and I'm sure we'll get into some of the details of that uh, as we move through. Yeah, we definitely will. And thank goodness uh, you've had the courage to push into this. And and what it feels like to me is I feel like you're on a mission, Giles. And um, I just want to kind of ask, you know, how important was your time in Oxford, for example, in shaping the way you're approaching this mission to focus on really solve social problems by using investment capital. And as you say, putting a different lens on it. So it's about getting the money to follow the opportunities. I haven't thought of it that mm. way before. That was that was interesting. Yeah, look, Oxford was absolutely incredible. It was, um, as I always refer to it, my diversity on steroids experiment um, <laughs> or experience, I should say, not, not experiment. Yeah. Um, it was 35 people, 26 nationalities, 19 different industries at an age group of 35 to 65. So, you know, uh, you know, an incredibly diverse um, experience in terms of people that I was, you know, meeting with and talking, you know, to give you an example, um, you know, out of those 35, eight were from the continent of Africa. And, uh, wow. you know, I'm a first generation Australian. I consider myself pretty multicultural. and I don't think I've met 
um, eight people, you know, from Africa ever, ever in my life, you know, in, you know, and, and, you know, and, and had meaningful conversations, you know, and passed people in the streets and, and probably had acquaintances. So that really was, was eye opening, um, from many, many different perspectives, but really, the human element um, was was the most eye opening, and also that diversity experience. Um, you know, I've, I've I've had the experience of you know uh, diversity and inclusion, particularly on the not for profit boards that I've worked on um, and and volunteered on, um, and that was you know generally being surrounded by people that didn't look like myself, that had very you know very broad diverse experience. And also, typically being one of the few males um, on these not-for-profit boards, so they were largely females, and that was a big contrast to my business world, where it was very much, you know, a a white Anglo-Saxon, um, you know, business world and environment that I was in. But you know, really, the Oxford experience, you know, the greatest learning was um, seeing the value that diversity brings to decision making. So we all know, uh, and we've all experienced, uh, hopefully. Um, the uh, you know ha- have what the value that these different um, experiences and diverse experiences bring to decision making. You just make better decisions. Um, and so I, I I had this you know um, you know very immersive experience of being surrounded by all these people from different backgrounds. You know uh, a, a guy running a hedge fund. Um, you know a, a a gentleman running a very large not for profit in Mumbai. Um, you know, all these, you know, uh, people from Peru, you know, uh, you know, all these different countries, cities, um, and seeing that, you know, these different perspectives actually lead to better decision making and uh, better decision making, I should say. Uh, so that was, you know, really, really key learning, crucial learning, um, and really inspired me to, you know, ha- how do we bottle this into a business? You know, how do we bring back these values? of diversity and inclusion into a business um, in order to make better decisions. And I can hear it in your voice, Giles. You know, it was clearly such a pivotal experience and and a really immersive one, as you said. And God, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall. Um, And and you're talking my language. I mean, diversity at the end of the day. I remember reading a McKinsey research study where there was um, a data indicating that companies that have diversity across gender, gender, race, age, background, etc., um, are 33% more productive, you know, and, and in mm. such a fast-changing world that we live in today, um, we need different um, opinions and thoughts and backgrounds to let, I, you know, new ideas bubble up like what you have done um, with the Global mm. Impact Initiative. And you mentioned that you started it back in 2015 uh, with the goal um, of investing for impact being the focal point. Um, do you mind if I ask, was the Australian market actually ready for you, Giles? Yeah, definitely not, Jules. Um, <laughs> you know, I spent, uh, you know, and, and, you know, to your earlier point, you know, I, I, I literally jumped off the corporate cliff, you know, in, in 2015. So I was, you know, working in a role, um, you know, getting pay, paid extremely well, um, you know, for that, you know, being in that role, um, enjoying what I was doing. I was there for nine years, but I literally walked away with nothing. Um, and that was because I, I needed to start living my values um, and I needed in, in all parts of my life. I couldn't, uh, I just felt I couldn't, uh, continue to silo, uh, I guess, my values. And, you know, a lot of people say, you know, you shouldn't check in your personality when you walk through the door of your office. Um, but the reality is most people do. Um, mm. But what you sh- definitely shouldn't be checking in, uh, checking out is your values. And, and that's what I was feeling that I was doing um, on a, on a, more regularly than what I wouldn't care to admit um, in terms of, you know, separating, uh, you know, that, that work and, and, and non-work life. So, no, the, the market wasn't ready. Uh, I had, you know, I was really fortunate in that, you know, I'd had the Oxford experience in 2013. I then, when I came back to Australia, I then did some further study um, with the School of Social Entrepreneurs, which was which was a great course. Um, sadly, it's not around anymore, but the um, it was called an incubator program. And that incubator program, the only way you graduated was um, if you um, uh, submitted and developed your business plan and your idea during that nine-month period. Wow. Um, so it was like a 
ex- it was like a you know accelerated MBA. So we did as a group, and and that cohort was also extremely diverse. There was twenty five of us. Um, we were all situated you know nationally. We used to come together in different states, um, roughly every six to eight weeks to do you know strategy, marketing, finance, you know all the basic components of an MBA, but with an express purpose of. Um, how do we launch a business at the end of this? And, and, you know, your, your exam, so to speak, was, you know, your business plan. So I, I had this time, you know, this nine month period while I was working and, and also while I was doing this uh, course with the School of Social Entrepreneurs to really flesh out the business plan, you know, to talk to investors, to talk to not for profits, um, to do my analysis, to do my research. So even though I, you know, I left you know, the corporate world or my, you know, my, my, um, my stable job in 2015. It wasn't without doing any research, uh, but also uh, I knew that um, it, I was a little bit early, but I was, I was, I was happy, um, you know, to, to, to be in that position. So what I did, Jules, you know, particularly for the first few years is uh, I travelled a lot uh, to the UK and to Europe. Um, you know, the UK and, and Europe, uh, real leaders in this space, uh, you know, pretty much any, you know, pension fund or, you know, super fund uh, in, in Australian speak, you know, north of Paris has been doing impact investing or uh, ESG or different variants of it for a long time. You know, you've got the French, you've got the Nordics, you know, the Dutch, uh, you know, that have been doing impact investing for, for quite a period of time and doing it, you know, in a really sustainable and meaningful way. So, you know, went to lots of conferences, spoke to a lot of conferences, had a lot of meetings, met a lot of people and, and was able to bring that, um, that research and that, you know, intelligence, I guess, back into the Australian market. But ultimately, you know, we, we named the business Global Impact Initiative, you know, deliberately. You know, we knew this was always going to be a global business. Our business is focused uh, globally. Um, you know, we, we have Australian clients, we have Australian projects, which we'll get into in a moment. But ultimately, you know, the, the, the vision and the scale of this business is, is definitely global. Um, and, um, you know, we, 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 we continue to kind of uh, push forward with that. We are start, starting to see lots of positive changes um, in the Australian market. You know, we ourselves as well as others have done a lot of education in the Australian market. Uh, but it's still evolving, um, although mm. it's evolving at a much faster rate. Um, now, particularly, um, you know, I, I won't say post-COVID, but during these COVID times, I mean, what that has really brought to the fore is that people are, are really, really focusing on, you know, what's important to them. You know, that's, that's really been the big learning out of COVID it is, you know, people are, you know, and it's, and it's all part of their life, you know, it's their business life, you know, they just don't have time to waste on, on meetings or events or um, activities that not, don't add, add, any, add any value. Um, and then, you know, from personal side, you know, time is precious, you know, spending time with, with, with people that matter um, is really important. But yeah, from a business perspective, we're starting to see, you know, a lot more, you know, discussion, contact, action with people that we've been talking to for a long time that are saying, Giles, this is important. We need to do this now. Um, and, and, yeah. and can you help us do it? And I guess that is the silver lining that you say, and we we need to take those away at the moment. I think everyone needs um, hope, right? We need things to look forward to. It doesn't uh, surprise me in the slightest, the extent and the degree of research that you conducted before you took the leap of faith. And and I do just want to acknowledge, having said that, that I imagine it would have taken an enormous amount of courage to do that. But like anything that's worth doing and is truly going to be impactful, um, it's inevitably harder than what you think it's going to be as well. Um, They go hand in hand. So I know you, Mm. I know you won't give up um, and um, just brilliant to see that, you know, um, you've got to where you are. And I want to start looking at that now. So if we can start digging in a little bit into um, the Global Impact Initiative. So you talk about the five pillars. Um, Can you share that perhaps and, and exactly what you are doing? Yeah, so our, our business, um, you know, as I mentioned, is focused on impact investing, uh, focused on you know, generating or helping our clients generate financial returns, but also you know, measurable, intentional, additional social impact. Um, and our business is divided into the, the five pillars that you mentioned, and specifically uh, gender equality, Indigenous communities, health, affordable housing and climate. 
Um, so how we got to those five, um, you know, uh, firstly, gender equality, it's no surprise that that is first because that is has been a lifelong passion of mine and, and something that I've uh, spent a lot of time, you know, working and, and volunteering uh, through a number of different organisations um, in, in trying to, you know, push forward uh, gender equality. Um, gender equality does permeate right across our business and right across all those five pillars. Now, to give you an example, our team is 75% female. You know, our board is 60% female. So as, a, as an organisation, it's embedded, uh, but also, for example, when we're, you know, dealing with cl- climate-related issues or, you know, building a climate fund, you know, one of the first things we do is look at, well, how do we embed social impact into that climate fund so that uh, women and girls um, are supported, um, from, you know, from an education, from a training, from an employment perspective. Um, one thing we, we don't do, Jules, and, and this may come as a surprise, particularly for someone um, that spent so much time in funds management, something we don't do is we don't manage money ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an important distinction because, you know, one of our, well, there's, there's a number of, um, our, our, our main vision around, in, around the business and around impact investing is that we want to mainstream impact investing, but we also want to do it at scale. And, and part of that solution involves um, using what we call an ecosystem approach to it. So, you know, for too long, um, very, you know, lots of businesses, organisations, not-for-profits have been very siloed. You know, not-for-profits talk to other not-for-profits, businesses and corporates talk to other corporates, governments talk to other governments, um, you know, and, and, and when they get it right, they talk to their, you know, their, to their constituents. That's usually around election time. Uh, but, you know, we, what we want to do and, and, you know, very firm belief, and we've seen this, you know, not just in the work that we do, but in other solutions that other organisations have come up with, is that, you know, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. You just need to use the wheel better. You know, all the, all the ingredients for success are already there. So we chose deliberately as a business to not manage the money. So rather, um, so within those five pillars, there's two distinct parts to our business. So one is where we will construct a fund under our own name. So we will do the research. It's our intellectual property. We'll appoint the responsible entity. We'll appoint the administrator, the fund manager, the custodian. Um, an example of that is our uh, Global Impact Initiative Gender Equality Fund. And then in other parts of our business, we'll act as an advisor. So a fund manager will contact us and say, we want your help in setting up an impact fund. Can you help us do that? We're working on a project at the moment with a, with a fund manager in India. Um, you know, they have asked us to help them set up an impact fund. They've never done it before. They've got relationships with developers. You know, together we're working on an affordable housing project. Uh, we look at the sustainability of the building process. We'll look at how we're going to measure the social impact. We'll look at, you know, ensuring that the building is constructed, taking into account the needs of the community. Um, ultimately, that particular project is a 120-acre project uh, will move 100,000 people out of slums into affordable housing over the next five to six years. Wow. Um, at the same time, investors will get a 10% return and we'll measure, map and monitor the social impact to 16 of the 17 UN Sustainable Development Goals. So the five pillars, um, two distinct ways that we work, either constructing funds um, under our own name or helping um, and, and when I say helping, you know, that could be across a variety of different, uh, you know, sectors. So family offices, uh, financial advisors, slash dealer groups, um, you know, government, we're working with, you know, the UN. So a variety of different organisations we, we can work with to tailor a solution to bespoke a solution for them that achieves, um, you know, what they want from an impact investing solution. I like that approach and it actually makes so much sense in the way you've described it. So I'm getting the sense that you're almost like a project manager and you will step in and pull the pieces together. As you say, a lot of the solutions are already there, but it's about, I guess, that translation and and pulling what is needed at the right moment and getting the right messaging through um, to the right stakeholders at the right time. And um, my next question, I feel like you've, you've given me an example already, but I do want to dig into this a little bit more. You talk about putting impact at the heart of the investment case. 
is positive financial return and positive social impact for stakeholders actually achievable today? Oh, absolutely. You know, um, our business is only six years old. We've already seen examples of, you know, work that, that, that we've done. But, you know, when putting that aside, you know, the, the impact investing market, um, you know, sector is a lot older than that. I mean, the, the origins of impact investing uh, really came through you know, more uh, private equity, venture capital type investment mm-hmm. where, you know, companies were able to go in there, you know, change boards, change management teams, you know, look at the way that, uh, you know, organisation was, was structured or provide capital to these organisations that were making a difference um, and, and and helping them to do more. So, absolutely, you know, this, this is the great thing about it, Jules, is that, you know, we're not talking about, you know, this theoretical you know, white paper that someone has written and now we're trying to, to put it into process, it's actually there. And, you know, to your point before around, you know, these ecosystem approaches, you know, one of the greatest, um, you know, one of the greatest things that I see after, you know, having these meetings when you you put together, um, you know, people from the UN, from the corporate sector, from the not-for-profit sector, social enterprises, all in a room, even government, you put them in a room and they, they start talking yeah, you know, the first thing that they say when they walk out is, "Oh my God, why didn't we talk before?" You know, yeah, we're all yeah, aligned. You yeah, know? Yeah. But it's back to that. Uh, it's back to that. You know, we're we're just accustomed to these silos. Um, you know, it, it very much gets back to that diversity too. We yeah. we constantly surround ourselves most of the time with people that look, you know, similar to us, same background, same interests. Um, and you know, we do that personally. We do that on the business side. But it's not until Either you're forced into it, or you you make that really um, concerted push to how am I going to get people that don't look like me into a room to try to make these decisions that we know will be better than if they were one dimensional. Um, that's when you get that really uh, you know really significant change. Mm. Um, and when I say change, just change in mindset. You know, because if you can change someone's mindset, you know, behavior behavior changes are pretty simple after that. But it's about you know, changing that mindset. But but back to your point, Jules, you know, this is the great thing is that impact investing, examples, stories, you know, successes are not new. They've, they've been around. They just probably haven't been labelled impact investing, but there's just lots and lots of examples out there. I love that you raised mindset and I have shared on this podcast before that my favourite book is Mindset by Carol S. Dweck, who is a professor at Stanford University. I don't know if you've read it, um, but it's one that I, you know, highly no, I recommend. Yeah, it's worth a read and it's really um, what you're describing here today. Uh, lots of the examples that, that she goes through and that I've, I've given it as gifts to people and it's, it's one that's... Um, definitely worth taking the time to read. I wouldn't mind touching on or exploring some of the barriers, Giles. So you've already mentioned some, but, you know, jobs is often cited. You know, how, how do we get around that? Sorry, what is cited? Jobs, loss of jobs, for example. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, oh, look, absolutely. I mean, there's, I mean, a, a large part of that too, and, and I know what you're referring to, particularly, you know, when we, when we think about climate, you know, yes. it's often thought as, well, you know, we can't shut down a, a fossil fuel industry, you know, a, a carbon emitting industry because we're going to lose all these jobs. You know, the reality is, is that, you know, those jobs can easily be deployed into clean sectors. And, you know, we're seeing that now where, um, you know, ex-mining, you know, engineers um, and even the assets of those mines are now being used, um, not and not just the physical assets, but the intellectual assets are being used for, Geo, geothermal projects. So, you know, what do you need for a geothermal project is you need to drill very big holes. Well, what, who, are the, who are the people that are good at that? You know, that's mining engineers, people that have been doing it. So we can easily repurpose, and, and we have been, you know, the some of the people that I come across, um, you know, across, you know, we've, we've been developing now for the last few years a, a climate fund. And that climate fund has, will invest, ultimately in solar, battery, wind, wave and climate technology. And we deliberately put in uh, a climate technology category um, because that's kind of an other, you know, that is vertical farming, carbon capture, 
you know, um, even some of the wave, you know, even some of the wave and, and soil, um, uh, you know, carbon capture soil projects as well kind of fit, you know, into that category. You can also overlay, particularly in some of the agricultural products, um, you know, in, in some of the agricultural work, um, you know, plant-based food, but also you can overlay an Indigenous element um, and, and impact in, into those projects. So deliberately have, have broadened that. So, you know, we've been doing, doing a lot of work as a team on that, you know, globally looking at, you know, what are some of the best solar projects, battery, wind, wave, um, you know, to give you an example, what if our partners in, um, in, in, in Queensland, you know, we were helping them uh, with one of their battery projects. They just want a very significant grant to build a, um, to build a factory um, in regional Queensland. Um, they got significant amount of government money that enables them to do that. Uh, and so they're going to be manufacturing, you know, and building and manufacturing um, Australian batteries by Australian workers in regional Queensland. Um, and some of the work that we've been doing with them on that has also been, well, how do we intentionally embed even more social impact in there? So from a government perspective, you know, they have created employment, you know, through giving that grant, but also um, they've created uh, employment in, a, in, in, in an industry that that's pretty much guaranteed to grow, you know, through through you know the the manufacture and, and storage of um, energy through batteries, but also you know the additional work that we're doing is how do we ensure that there's more women employed? How do we ensure that there's good on the job training? How do we ensure that the indigenous communities are engaged in that process? So that that regional town in Queensland previously they would have sent. Uh, you know, their, their men and women would have gone off to mines and would have gone off to, to other, um, organizations. Now, they're now able to stay, um, in their own town, in their own country, uh, on their own country, um, and work in an industry that's going to make a real difference, uh, to their community, but, but also ultimately to the environment. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's somewhat frustrating when you hear, um, people thinking, you know, just taking this binary um, approach to, well, you shut down a mine, there goes the jobs. But when you shut down a mine, you can actually create more jobs. Um, and, and it has been shown and proven, and there's lots of these economic zones. You know, there's an economic zone coming up in the Hunter Valley. There's ones in South Australia where um, people that have worked in the fossil fuel mining industry um, are being, you know, repurposed. Um, they're being retrained um, and they're leading really great lives, um, learning a new industry, but more important, working in an in industry that is that is sustainable. What a remarkable story, Charles, about, you know, I guess thinking differently and outside of the box and approaching it from a different angle can result in, I guess, that sort of positive domino effect. That's absolutely remarkable. I want to stay on climate change um, and you just were touching then on um, coal, etc. You know, we've seen oil and gas companies um, improve their health and safety track records over recent decades. When I think about impact investing, for me, it's focusing on a company's impact on the real world. My observation is it seems to have proven to be much more difficult to get them to give up on their core pro- uh, core product. And I went to a breakfast recently and I was listening to Elizabeth Gaines, the CEO of FMG, talking about their decision as an organisation to aim for net zero by 2030. Um, one comment she made in particular did strike me and that was, through her lens as a CEO, when the target was 2050, they were taking action. And, you know, FMG was one of the first, um, I believe, to run with autonomous light vehicles and that kind of thing. And then they decided, well, let's push the envelope a a bit more and go for 2040. And the mindset for her um, just saw greater urgency around, okay, what do we need to do to achieve this milestone? And then the board decided to go harder again. And they've gone 2030. It's only nine years away. She said when that decision was made, she knew it was an entirely new ball game because prior to that, in some respects, they were moving forward. But it was more that um, the real heavy lifting was potentially kicked down the road to the next CEO. Um, how important, you know, um, are these targets and, and do we need to tighten them up? Is 2050, yeah, it's, is 2050 enough? 2050 is definitely not enough. 
um, you know, Ban Ki-moon, uh, the ex-Secretary General of the United Nations, uh, said there's no plan B because there's no planet B. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this is, you know, very much what he was talking about. You know, 2050 is way too way, way too far away. Um, we have had a, an unwelcome gift, but a, a gift nonetheless of COVID has been, uh, you know, the reduction in carbon in the atmosphere, you know, a, um, you know, lack of travel, um, you know, predominantly and, and air travel is, is one of the biggest contributors. Uh, but, you know, a lot of industries, you know, closing, uh, closing down, not admitting a lot of less, a lot of less car, less cars on the road, less planes in the air has seen the earth repair, but it's definitely not enough. Uh, so totally salute CEOs like Elizabeth Gaines that can, can push those targets forward to 2020, uh, 2030. Because what that does, Jules, as well, is it gets, you know, the boards and gets employees much more focused as well. I mean, to think about something that's, you know, 20 years away or 30 years away versus nine years away, um, is, is, is a lot more achievable for a lot of people, but also a lot more meaningful. Um, and, and it you know, forces the great those things. I was just going to say, Sorry, it forces yeah. that decision today, doesn't it? I mean, their solution well, yeah. is they're going to lean into hydrogen. They want to be in a hydrogen yep. exporter. You know, so there exactly. are, it, 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 as you say, it just brings forward those decisions to get something happening now. Yeah, exactly right. And, you know, one of the most vivid meetings that I still remember, um, you know, in that time, uh, you know, it would have been 2016, 2017. I, I was spending quite a lot of time in London. And I was working with a private bank in London and they said, oh, can you just come in on this meeting just to observe and you know, just provide some, um, you know, some, some answers if people are asking questions about, about impact investing. So, you know, I was, that, I was intended on being that proverbial fly on the wall. Yeah. Um, and this meeting was um, mother, father, daughter um, and their private banker. Uh, quite a wealthy family. They had ran about 40 million pounds with, this one private bank and that wasn't all their wealth and they had deliberately brought their brought their daughter along uh, because they wanted uh, her to get more engaged in the investment portfolio I love that uh, and this young lady and this young lady sat there and started breaking down every single holding in the portfolio <laughs> and and literally went through the top 10 and said you know this company is doing, you know, really bad things in Africa. This company is, yeah. is, is killing the environment. Did you see what they're doing over here? You know, so really, really detailed analysis of the portfolio. And the private banker was just at a bit of a loss and said, um, oh, Giles can talk to you about impact investing. <laughs> yeah, wow. So it was really, you know, it was a, it was a fortuitous moment, I guess, yeah. for, for them, but also for me, one witnessing that in action um but also just and and i've seen lots and lots of examples of that um and had lots of conversations with similar people of that age not only of the parents age but also the children's age that are just getting much more involved in their investments and you think about it you know you're a 20 year old you've got superannuation um here in australia you've got retirement savings if you're somewhere else in the world but you can, if you don't pay attention to your superannuation now as a 20-year-old, it doesn't matter how well it performs. Um, you know, if, if it's not invested sustainably in 40 or 50 years' time when you go to withdraw that super and you go to live your life in retirement, if you haven't paid attention to it for the last, you know, 40, 50 years, it, you're not going to win. You're not going to retire into an environment that you're comfortable with. You know, there's not going to be the same quality of beaches around. There's not going to be the same quality of, of forests and rainforests around for you to, you know, for, for, for you to part, you know, to, to go to and, and to partake in those activities. Yeah. You know, the quality of the air is not going to be there. So your life in retirement, um, very much determined, you know, what, what, what your life looks like in retirement is, is very much determined what you do now. And that's the great, uh, conversation and, and, and really reckoning that a lot of, you know, millennial investors particularly are having is that they can actually do something now to change, um, their investment portfolio, which doesn't affect their disposable income or the way that they lead their life now, but it will affect, you know, their future as, as, as well as many others. And then at the other end, Jules, we're seeing, you know, CEOs and CIOs in charge of large sums of capital saying, I'm really bored 
the way that I'm currently investing and have been investing for the last, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, I want to leave a legacy. And my legacy is around gender equality or Indigenous communities or contributing to the climate. You know, I don't want to just pick another global equities manager. I want to um, bring into the portfolio a better climate solution or something that's more, you know, gender diverse or, or has greater characteristics of diversity. So the change is happening and, and the real, I, I often refer to it as the, um, the intersection of, you know, the, the, the collision of the two worlds. And that is the, the millennial investors, um, you know, the ones that are building their retirement, but also, um, you know, the people that control the money, um, and they're kind of, um, you know, their aha moments because, you know, they're looking at their children and grandchildren and saying, I need to do something. I need to leave a legacy now. Otherwise, they're just not going to have the life that they deserve. I like that. And the pressure is coming to bear and rightly so. And, um, you know, shareholder and stakeholder activism is just so important. And as I was driving here today, listening to the news on the radio, Morrison's in Washington right now, um, starting to hear his language change. And it appears that we're inching towards a 2050 commitment at the moment. But um, in, that's in no part, um, you know, no doubt due to growing, growing global pressure. We, you know, how mm. long are they going to be able to push back on that? Um, Giles, yep. your thoughts on COVID. So if I can just swing us, I guess, back to where we started, I'm conscious of time. Um, what impact has it had in your view in this space? Yeah, the, the biggest thing, there's been a number of, um, you know, really big um, issues that, that COVID's raised and, and, and something that, you know, we're very passionate about, but also quite saddened about to, to see, and that is the rising inequality. Um, you know, the, the, and, and that inequality, um, very much being borne by, by females. Yeah. So, you know, in most industries, uh, people that are, are at high risk will get paid more, um, and which is, which is natural and, um, realistic and should be the case. Um, COVID's been quite the opposite. You know, you've got a largely female workforce who've been at the front line of retail, uh, particularly, you know, supermarkets, been at the front line in terms of, um, the health industry, um, and bearing that extra risk for no additional reward. Um, and, and in fact, you know, um, putting their, themselves at risk and putting their families at risk. Um, also, um, you know, uh, other industries, you know, the cleaning industry, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know that, that small business owners, um, typically, ha- etc. Mm. Sorry, small business owners as well are right in the small in business the owners. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, small business. I mean, there's just, there's just so many small businesses that are out of business, um, and unfortunately, for a lot of them, many of it will be permanent because you know cities are not going to be the same, but. You know, the other, you know, inequality, you know, you know, the inequality gap that continues to, to increase, not just for females, but also for, you know, um, migrant groups, low socioeconomic mm-hmm. workers. So, you know, um, you know, the wealthy can escape to their holiday houses, but, you know, the, the low, um, low socioeconomic workers need to go to work on a day to day basis to put food on the table. You know, that's just the nature of, um, you know, it's just a reality. You know, they're either, you know, they're the sole provider or they're the only provider um, that can provide for their family and they need to take on, you know, additional risks to do that. So there's that aspect, Jules, in terms of the, you know, the, the marginalised groups, um, be it migrant groups as well as women, um, that continue to be marginalised through this pandemic, uh, but also the mental health effects of this, which, you know, has no colour and has no gender. Um, the, you've got, uh, two year old children that have never experienced a birthday party, um, because they've Mm. been in lockdown. Um, particularly if they've been in Melbourne or Sydney, especially, you know, especially Melbourne. Yeah. Uh, you've got 80 and 90 year old, you know, 80, 90 year old, you know, people, uh, that are spending the last two, two years of their life or have spent the last two of their lives, two years of their life in lockdown and, you know, passed away. You know, with no family around them. Now that has a massive issue, obviously on the on the families that they've left behind, um, but also at the other end. You know, you've got you know lifelong issues that um, you know young people, teenagers. Um, you know, I've got a 
16 year old and a 19 year old who, you know, are, have different challenges for both of them. Um, but, you know, it's similar challenges to what other teenagers are going through, you know, a 19 year old who was supposed to spend, you know, this year traveling, um, yeah, yeah. and experiencing the world and, and, and living out, you know, what was, you know, what, what, what he deserved and, and, you know, which was, you know, a, a, a time to go and explore. Now, it's those rites of passage, isn't it? It's the rites of passage yeah, that, yeah. that are lost and yeah, all of those things, yeah. Exactly right. And, you know, he may get that time back, he may not. Um, but I'm, I'm really concerned about, and we all know that mental health was an issue before COVID. Um, you know, it, it's an even bigger issue. And we've seen governments recently, you know, devote more time, more attention, more money, um, you know, to organisations like Lifeline and others. Um, to try to uh, bridge that gap, but it's it's a real issue, and yeah. sadly, you know, the mental health effects of this pandemic will last a lot longer um, than the health issues that surround it. Unfortunately, I agree. And as a society, we need to be talking about this. And I think that you articulated that just so well, Giles. It's really concerning. It's so obvious how uneven the fallout is and the disparity in the situation. And and somehow we have to work our way back through that and and not and just be really mindful of those that are really hurting at the moment. Um, I'm conscious of time um, and I would like to finish on a positive note as I can. And you did just mention you have a 16-year-old and a 19-year-old and I remember, Giles, when our, you know, we had our kids very close together actually. You went first. Um, so I was watching, you know, to see how you cope with number one. Um, but in a, neg- <laughs> in a world full of, you know, a negative news cycle... Can you leave us with some last comments around reason for hope, Giles? Oh, look, there's lots of reason for hope, Jules. There's, um, uh, you know, there's there's real change happening. Hopefully, as I've um, articulated throughout, you know, you the the stories, um, you know, that we've seen and all the you know the, the stories that I've heard and the experiences I've heard, you know, with young investors, you know, millennial investors of, of, of all ages getting more engaged with their investments to make some change, uh, but also at the other end, um, you know, your boomers and, and other ages also doing, um, you know, also doing a, undertaking a similar exercise and really looking deeply at, you know, what have they got in their portfolios? How can they change it? Um, you know, bringing it to a home perspective, you know, can we add more solar to the roof? Uh, can we, um, you know, can we buy an electric vehicle? Can we, um, have battery storage at home? So there's lots of things that we can all do as individuals. You know, the millennial, uh, generation is the most socially conscious of, of any generation, um, that we've seen. Without so I have, I have unbelievable, uh, you know, not unbelievable. I have faith that this generation, in combination with all generations, that we're going to that we're going to move forward, um, you know. The the the, the, the I, I heard a very I don't want to end on this line, but a very cynical line that was heard the other day was actually um, the the planet will survive. It's just that people will die. Yeah, <laughs> so, brilliant. Uh, that's, that, that's, yeah, that, that's that a is reality. A very negative view. Mm. <laughs> that is the reality. Like the, mm. the Earth will still rotate on its axis, mm. but it just won't have as many people. Um, but you know, we, we are seeing lots of change. We're seeing businesses evolve. We've just got seeing so many great examples of innovation and change and strategy, but also, you know, people power, you know, people are making that, you know, people are not sitting on their hands and saying, this is all too hard. These corporates are too big and powerful and they'll never change. You know, it's that, it's, it's actually the opposite, but it's also, you know, meaningful, small steps that we can all take, um, you know, to make that difference. And that that's hopefully um, the message and the learning, you know, from today and, and, and from all the great work that you're doing, Jules, through the Good Money podcast is, you know, we all have a part to play and, you know, we um, uh, there's, there's a great saying and I, and, I, and I can't remember who said it. I think it was Gandhi actually that said, um, a drop of oil doesn't make the ocean dirty. Um, and you know, if you think about that from the flip mm, side, yeah. you know, the we we can all make many those hands. incremental changes. Mm. Um, you know, many hands make light work, and all those great cliches. But ultimately, we all have a part to play. We're 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 playing it. Some of us need to play it more than others, 
um, certainly the federal government needs to get on board. And you referred to, you know, you referenced today some 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 discussions that were happening at, at probably a faster rate than they were <laughs> ready for. Yes, but that's because the pressure's there. You know, yeah. everyone's pretty much on the same page, uh, and and those that aren't uh, are going to need to get on that page pretty quickly. And Giles, if I can say, people like you give us hope. I don't think you quite realise how inspiring you are. So thank you so much for sharing your unique experiences, insights and wisdom today. And congratulations and thank you, you know, for the work you're doing. Congratulations on having your work acknowledged on the global stage. I think anyone listening, it's very clear why that is the case and and well-deserved. And thank you for having the courage to throw everything you have at what you really value and care about. I can't wait to see where you take it from here, Giles. It's been amazing to connect again. Thank you so much. Thank, really appreciate the time, Jules, and, and lovely to reconnect. And, and thank you as well for all the great work you're doing with the Good Money Podcast. It's, um, it's wonderful seeing the, the range of guests that you've had and the conversations um, and you know the really, really important conversations that we all need to have about money and, and improving our relationship with money. I know you've been passionate about that. Uh, for a long time, so it's also likewise wonderful to see uh, you you doing this in your so-called spare time, so uh, thank you for <laughs> yeah, everything well, that you're doing. <laughs> thank you, and thank you to our listeners for taking the time to join us today. If you found this podcast interesting, please do share it, please do give us a review. We do value that and it does make a difference. Um, looking forward to joining A very special guest for the next episode will be Mark Bynum, who has just released The Money Sandwich. Thank you very much. That was another episode of Good Money Habits, brought to you by Lighthouse Capital. A reminder that this episode was general in nature and doesn't take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs, and therefore may not be appropriate for you. It is recommended that you seek professional advice before making any significant financial decisions. If you want to find out more, this podcast is available on Apple Podcasts or head to www.lighthousecapital.com.au.